You are listening to Tom Green, a series that joins classes from St. David's Boys National School in Artane as they learn about the life of Irish Antarctic explorer Tom Green from the book Iceman by Michael Smith. Right, we're back with uh, St. David's Boys National School in the Kilmore Road in Artane. And with me this morning, we have boys from Miss Cahill's class. Good morning, Miss Cahill. Good morning. And we've got Carl, Robin, Jack, Robert, Carl, Evan and Carl. We have three Carls in this group this morning. <laughs> now, Miss Cahill, what topic are we going to talk about? Uh, this group decided to take uh, the topic of 19th century Ireland because that is the time period that Tom Crean would have lived in Ireland before he set off. So Very it's kind of a good. background. And of course, the background to this whole project is a book called Iceman by Michael Smith, which is all about Tom Crean. And I can see the boys in, in front of the boys now are examples of their research and their project work. Lovely yellow sheets with all that right and a lot of uh, work in it, which is marvellous. And you're going to set the scene first, Miss Cahill, are you? Yeah, I'm just going to read. It's actually the f- uh, in chapter one from the book and oh, it just kind of sets Very the good. scene of what okay. Ireland was like. So, uh, Half a world away from the frozen Antarctic's ice and snow are the lush green fields of Ireland. The contrast between the two different landscapes is stark. One is always cold, hostile and alien to humans, while the other is mild, grassy and welcoming. However, it was a man from Ireland's soft rolling hills who tamed the world's most wild and violent place, Antarctica. The man was Tom Crean. Tom's story began over 100 years ago. He was born in 1877 near the village of Annascall in County Kerry on Ireland's western shores. Tom had a humble start in life. His parents were very poor farmers who struggled to work the land and feed their 10 children. Life on the farm was extremely hard. There were no luxuries like electricity or telephones. People were often hungry and when crops failed, many thousands died. Only the toughest survived. Children like Tom had little chance to escape the poverty. Schools were poor and children learned little more than how to read and write. They often left school by the age of 12, too early to develop skills or knowledge and find a good job. My goodness, that's a very stark, a very grim picture of what it was like. So in terms of what the boys here are experiencing and what when, when Tom Crean was their age, Ms. Cahill, very, very different. Very, very different. These boys are very lucky in comparison, I think. Yeah, and some, that's why I think this project is so interesting that you were comparing what it was like all those years ago. Um, and so, the boys were especially interested that it is our own country we're thinking correct. about, you know. So. Yes. And it's what, it's probably maybe 140 miles away down in Kerry. And it's, it's not, it's, as you say, it's not another continent. It's exactly. on, on our own island. So it's maybe, maybe Carl here yeah. beside me, you, your project, you just chose what it was like in Ireland at that time. You might want to say a little few bits, Carl. So Carl, will you tell the listeners now what you came up with and from your research? After the famine, Irish men and women continued to go to the US between 1853 and 1893. Three million. Three million. Two hundred and four thousand. Six thousand. immigrants left Ireland. Even after the famine, the people still had had to pay rack rents to the landlords. Oh, my, that's that's very sad. Isn't it? All those millions of people. So. Uh, I always talk if trying to get an idea of numbers is very hard isn't it so if we think of there's about a million and a quarter of people living in the general in the Dublin area 
So you came up with twice that number, was it? Left two and a half million, was it? Three million two hundred thousand. So yeah. three times the number, maybe from Dublin. Just imagine, all those people had to leave the country because of poverty. And Carl Keller, wh- yeah, what was the main reason why all those people left? Because of the 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 potatoes, they weren't like the the harvest, the, the crop yeah. failed exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, a teacher said a while ago that Tom's family came from a very poor background, so they're, they're, what they would live on, potatoes, what was known as the staple diet, was like everybody ate potatoes at every meal. Yeah. So if the potatoes disappeared, you're in trouble. For example, if you ate bread every, at every meal and you had no bread and that's all you had to eat, you'd be in big trouble. So people had to leave the country. Mm. That's very sad, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, Anybody else must go home? Evan, maybe you'd like to. You, he chose to think of what Tom Crean's life was like in oh, Ireland. Oh, excellent! As as a young boy, very good, Evan. So, will you ex- explain to us what you found? Uh, when Tom Crean was young, he was born in County Kerry on the twentieth of July, eighteen seventy-seven. He was one of the ten children of Patrick and Ke- Catherine. Cain Crane. Crane, yeah. Patrick Crane was a humble farmer who worked hard on the land to feed his family. So the picture we're painting again is it was very, very tough. So the farm land may not have been great. I mean down parts of Kerry the land wouldn't be great. Uh, though parts of Ireland, there was great uh, uh, farming land, say in County Meath and parts of Dublin indeed. But parts of Kerry wouldn't be great. So mm. there was a lot of work to get a crop out of that land. So do you think that Tom as a young boy helped to work on the farm, Evan? Yeah. Do you Have you any idea what it would, what, what it would be like? Were you, ever, were you ever on the farm? Was it? No. No. I so think it was easy, an easy day for him every day. No. No. If if there were cows, they had to get up and milk them and feed them, and oh, it's, it's, it sounds very tough. Evan, you've a little bit there. I can see on about how he joined the navy because it's very uh, different from how he started in Ireland. Uh, uh, he had an argument with his father and decided to run away from home. Oh oh. And he met a Brit- British navy officer on the beach, uh, recruiting young men to crew ships. In the British Indeed. Navy, Indeed. Right, yeah. And what I, th- now I remember reading the book, I think he pretended he was older than he was. He did, he lied about his age yeah, to get there. Because you had to be, was it 18 or 16? 16, 16, I think. I think he was only yeah. 15. So he'd a row with his dad. Yeah. Imagine, you'd never have rows with anybody, would you? Um. (laughs) (laughs) but he was determined to get away to have a better life maybe and that gives an indication of what Tom Crean was like doesn't it because a lot of people were trapped in that situation but he could see a way out now I I see other boys with other uh, other, uh, work how about the the Carl over yeah Carl Pope so what did you choose to do your project about Uh, Irish anger so a lot of boys were interested at the time that again Ireland was still under British rule and how unhappy not just Tom was unhappy obviously with poverty but a lot of people were angry and unhappy in Ireland at the time and Carl this Carl here mentioned that uh, the people had to pay very high rents yeah so that so a lot of people were cross and angry about this very much so the the the, the second Carl we call you Carl what did you find Ireland wasn't happy when the great famine happened they were angry because the British 
the British army did not help during the Great Famine. We were unhappy as well because if you did not pay your bills, they'd throw you out of your house, That's and true. so you didn't come back. They'd burn down the roof of your house. Wow. Yeah. So if you couldn't pay the rent, they would... You were evicted. Evicted. Can you imagine somebody coming to your house yeah. and throwing you out and taking the roof off? Is that what you said? Yeah. So you couldn't live and in it. We saw lots of pictures. You know, obviously there wasn't photos, but in their research, there was a lot of pictures depicting how bad it was. You know, they were throwing their belongings out of the house. And this was the, the landlord would do this, is it? Yeah. So it's, it's, no wonder so many people emigrated. So it's a very, very sad time in Ireland, wasn't it? So, he, so that's where that's what Tom grew up in. So he could see all these things happening. So. Maybe. Robin, I know you chose to speak about how poor a lot of people were in Ireland. Do you want to speak about that? There was a lot of poverty. Yeah. The subject of Irish poverty was given added urgency from the state's point of view by the fact that provision for the poor in Britain was being vigorously deba- debated and criticised at, sa- at the same period. Okay, so because there was so much poverty, the, the state didn't help very much. Is that right? The, the government didn't help very much. Yeah, the they didn't. The British didn't help at all. And the, the other thing that, in, from other readings that I found, that during that time, despite the poverty and despite the hunger, huge amount of exports of food left Ireland. Okay, to go to other to countries. To go to other countries. So there was food there, but the landlords were only interested in getting it off to, to sell yeah. it to somebody else. And uh, Jack, how about you? What 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 did you find in your work? What did you come up with? For the immigration. Yes, very good. That ties in nicely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lots of people left to go to America when the Phantom was in Ireland. For many years after the Phantom, the Irish who emigrated in the years of the Great Phantom, 1845 to 1850, found life in America almost as hard as back home. That's right, because we forget this, that people thought they were going to the promised land, but they were treated like animals when they went there because they, they, no, the, the Americans at the time had very little regard for the Irish who went. Uh, so they left a very difficult situation and went to another very, very difficult situation. Now, can you just imagine what it must be like if you were thrown out of your house, Jack, yeah. with your family, and you were put on a boat... Nope, very little possessions with the clothes you were wearing. Just imagine your school uniform being brought out to the docks in Dublin, put on a boat, brought to a country, and you had nothing. And maybe very bad food on the boat. So mm. it was dreadful, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, I, I wouldn't like it at all. Now, how about uh, Carl here, this side, this uh, okay. Carl number three? We, uh, t- two of the boys actually did uh, the idea then of how some people in Ireland, yes, there was a lot of anger and there was British rule, but there was a lot of people in Ireland determined you know keep our culture alive and ah, things like that very so good. Carl Halligan chose to do his project on the GAA of course the GAA was developed around that time very good Carl will you tell us what you found uh, the GAA was found in Thurles in Tipperary in 1884 very 80, just okay 1884 so that's maybe just a few years just, after yeah yeah okay very good and um, whoever played GA wasn't allowed to play uh, rugby or no, soccer. No, so that was the idea to keep the Irish yeah. culture. Uh, the boys couldn't believe that because a lot of boys in our class play soccer and hurling. Well, and, you know, so. I'll tell you that, that that situation lasted in Ireland up to relatively recently, the last maybe 30 years, that if you played GA, you were not allowed to play any other sport. 
And if you did, you'd be thrown out of the yeah. GA. So it's hard to believe nowadays everybody plays all yeah, the different exactly, sports. Yeah. In those days, it was one or the other. So what else did you find? And the Karen? games are called hurling and Gaelic football. Right, very good. And um, hurling has been played since ancient times. That's right, it goes right back into, into the past, yes. Yeah. And all Ireland finals are held in Crow Park. Very good. And... and um, Did you know, by the way, Carl, that the original numbers on a hurling team were 17? There were 17 players on, on each team. team. Yeah. But so I can imagine teams. a shamazzle with 34 fellas beating the head off each mm. other. So what else did you find, Carl? I see your great notes there. Um, oh. Oh, Grony wrote a simple book called Irish Lessons. And yeah, it was very, very famous sport in Ireland. Very good. And it's, it's still very strong. Do you, do you play a game yourself? Yeah. What do you play? Uh, Gaelic. Gaelic football. Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Now, uh, the other Robert, what did you come up with? He's, he, his project is about how at the time, yes, there was a lot of anger and it was the beginning of the idea of maybe rebelling against oh, the British government. Very, that's, so. very, that's, that's very, that's very, you, you've done great research, boys. In 1803, Robert Emmett, a Protestant who believed Catholics were represented unfairly in Ireland, led an attack on Dublin Castle. Though his rebellion failed and he was executed, Robert Emmett made a speech at his trial that inspired many other Irish rebels, including the leaders of the 1916 Rising. It's most significant outcome was the rejuvenation of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, ILB. This small underground revolutionary body planned and directed the insurrection in 1916. The Eastern Rising was confined to Dublin. In total, the Rising cost 450 people killed, 2,614 injured and 9 missing almost all over Dublin. Very, very good, Robert. That's excellent piece of work now. That ties it in very well. Yes. So, the Robert Emmett, uh, it, it, it started the 18, 1802, was that 1803? Three. Three. Yeah. And that led on, you figure, the, the, your work indicates that that formed the basis of the leaders of the uh, the 1916, which exactly. will be celebrating 100 years next year. Next year. Yeah. So, the boys uh, um, were very interested in that, obviously, in Irish history but they from doing this I think they understood even more how angry Irish people were and why that might have started you know so so from from the from your point of view Miss Cahill in terms of the boys yes they've obviously got a lot of, uh, of, of benefit from this definitely and these boys chose this aspect of it because they were interested in um, especially Irish history so Very I think good. they enjoyed it yeah. excellent so boys uh, I want to congratulate now uh, Ms. Uh, Carl Robin Jack uh, Robert, Carl, Evan and Carl for your research and I hope now you'll put up your research in your classroom to show the, the benefits and, and your hard work. So we're very well done and I think people are going to be very impressed when they hear that all that wonderful information. So thank you very much again. Now we're with uh, boys from fourth class, Miss Cattle's class in St. David's Boys National School from the Kilmore Road, Artane. And this uh, today's recording, we've got Miss um, Cattle, of course. Uh, you're welcome, Miss Cattle. Thank you. We've got Dara, Ronan, John, Sean, Richard, and Jack. 
That's very good, Jack. And now, Miss Cahill, what topic are the boys going to talk about? So, um, based on the book Iceman about Tom Crean, Written by uh, Michael Smith. Michael Smith. Yeah. These boys chose to take the topic of mountain glaciers. Mountain glaciers. And to do a bit of research on that. Oh, very good. I might just read a little bit from do, the book yes, just, just to, to, to yeah. set it up. So, um, the first phase of the journey was a 640 kilometre or 400 miles march across the Great Ice Barrier, a flat shelf of ice about the size of France. The shelf is about half a mile thick and to the explorers it was like crossing a vast frozen lake. Next, the party had to climb the mighty Beardmore Glacier, which is 190 kilometres or 120 miles long and rises almost 3.2 kilometres or 2 miles upwards onto the Polar Plateau. The final leg was the fearsome polar plateau, a distance of around 560 kilometres or 350 miles to the pole itself. The plateau was roughly three kilometres or two miles above sea level. And on this stretch, the man, the men faced the worst cold and most powerful winds. And also they had their pulling sledges with them as well. Pulling a heavy sledge up the awesome Beardmore Glacier, one of the biggest glaciers in the world, was the hardest part of the journey. The men faced constant danger. The Beardmore Glacier is very slippery and covered in dangerous hidden crevices, which can easily swallow an entire sledging party. It's amazing, Miss Cahill, when you read material about this topic. That section there, I think, it describes how fearsome it is. Yes. It really yeah, is. really it's, dangerous. It's, oh, very. So, will we start with some of the boys and what, yeah. they, what they found? Uh, Dara, you Dara. might just give us a little bit about... What you uh, found about mountain glaciers. Fun facts. A mountain glacier are made with crevices and ice and snow. Okay. So the, the snow uh, falls and it com- becomes ice. And yep. it's like a river of ice, isn't it? Yeah. And it moves very, very slowly and it, it grinds up everything underneath, isn't it? And what are crevices, Dara? It's a, it's a big... It's kind of like a bottomless pit, but it has a bottom, but it's really deep. Okay, so like a hole. Yeah. So the men, when they're pulling their sledge, could fall into these things? Yeah, and uh, you'll be already dead when you hit the bottom. <sighs> but a cold air come pushing down on you. So that's, that's on top of the wind and the cold and everything else. It's 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 actually, you know, the more I think about it, it's how frightening it must be. So Tom Crean and his, his colleagues were wonderful men, weren't they? Yeah, so very they, brave. They had to pull the sledge with, with their tents and their clothes and their food and everything every day. How many, two miles up? The, oh, yeah. the thought of it. Jack, you might tell us a little more, more about what is a mountain glacier? Well, a glacier is a moving tree of ice. Very good. Glaciers usually form when enough snow builds up an ice layer on the land. They can be 100 metres, 330 feet high. If it is on a slope, the great weight of the ice causes the whole tree to move downhill. Ah, very good. This is because the layers of the ice at the bottom of the pile where it rests on the ground becomes softened and slippery. And the glacier begins to move like a very slow river. Ah, right. So can you imagine, Jack, or can you just even think in your mind what it must be like if you didn't have anything to pull, if you just had to stand on the ice with the wind howling and you're afraid of a crevasse? It must be awful. 
Uh, yeah, would you like it? <laughs> You're shivering, like, and I am too. <laughs> very good. So, yeah, for, that's very interesting. So, anybody else? Maybe John there, you did a little bit about, you, you mentioned there, Declan, how high they were and how yeah. large they were. So Well, some glaciers are like all different shapes. Like, very you good. never know what shape they could be in. Oh, so they all, they're all different? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, very good. Okay. Um, Do you want to read anything out there, John, that you have? Yeah, uh, well, a glacier height can be all shapes and sizes. Um, this is um like glaciers can is more danger up the higher you go because oh. how thin it gets. Like so the higher low. it is, the thinner and more likely that you could fall through yeah. or it could break. Or didn't yeah. know that. No. So the higher up you go, the thinner it is. Therefore, it's more dangerous, and you yeah. could crack and fall in. Because you have no so, more space so to go. I wouldn't like to be up on top of one of those. And these men were never there before, so they didn't realise. It wasn't a question that, you know, it was like a roadway or a pathway. They were breaking new ground, as they say. Exactly. So, so John, can you imagine being up on top of the glacier? I could, but I don't want to imagine anytime soon. Very good answer. <laughs> very good. Now, Ms. Cahill, anybody else? Sean, you spoke, so obviously it was very, very dangerous, yeah. but Sean chose to take that aspect, how the dangers Oh, very them. good. Um. Mountain glaciers can be very dangerous because they are big pieces of rocks and ice and, and you can cut yourself, fall or slip. And if you get up to the top, it will be very hard for you to breathe. Okay, so with the oh. altitude as well. So there's an aspect now which I hadn't thought of that the ice can cut you because it can be so sharp. Exactly, yeah. So imagine when you fall on a football pitch and you cut yourself on a stone. Can you imagine being cut and bleeding in all that cold and the wind and oh it exactly. must be dreadful so um, you wouldn't fancy being up in the glacier either no sure, no not, as, as, as John said not too, too much of a hurry anyway very good so um, Richard chose the idea of how what kind of safety precautions they had to take ah that's very so we, we've we've okay just to recap we, we have an idea now what a glacier is it's like a moving mountain a moving river of ice Um and we had the top of the men it's very very high it's dangerous at the top um, John found and then uh, Sean told us about how um, you could cut yourself and so on so and now uh, Richard is going to give us some information about what the men had to do to stay safe so for the crevice they would use rope and tie it to, tie, tie it to each other so they don't so like one falls they can save each other with the rope oh very good yes very good yeah they need food so they don't starve yes you're okay. Water so they don't uh, yeah, oh, get thirsty. Too thirsty. Yeah. yeah. And and what about uh, clothes? Like a, that in like uh, very warm clothes yeah. and like a doctor probably. Yeah. If so they'd have a doctor as part of the group, the yeah. crew, if they could. But the big thing that came across to me now listening to you today is that everything they had, they had to carry it, they had to pull. Yes. It wasn't a question that went down to a, a local store and said, could I have a, a bottle of milk? Exactly. Everything so had to be carried. Not only were they climbing something that was very high, it was made of ice. It wasn't just a normal mountain. They also had to carry everything. They also had to deal with crevices and the high wind and the low temperature. It was so really just, hard. Just going back, uh, just going back, um, what it was like for Tom Crean as a young man so just imagine when you walk to school or you get the bus or whatever and you complain sometimes because oh, you know look how easy it is compared to what those men had to go through exactly so Dara did you want to say something yeah 
it's just like the Titanic. They, like it's like if if it breaks off, this ship could have been easily sunk, like the Titanic, because it's small on the top, but you don't know how big. It could oh, be the iceberg, top. very yeah. good. And what the where do the icebergs come from? Mountain glaciers. That's very good. Very so the good. so the glacier, as as Jack said, is like the moving river of ice. When it hits the sea, lumps, huge, big lumps fall off, and they're called icebergs. Isn't that yeah. right? And it's they float out to sea, and they're very dangerous for shipping. Very good, Dara. So, and what happens is that is it ten percent is above the water, and the rest so of it is below. So nearly all of it is below. Exactly. Yeah. So if if a ship hits it, it can rip the side. Below the water line, and the water goes in, and yep. the, very good. Or it could, you know, or it could hit the very bottom, and then kind of break the ship in half. It could yeah. break its back, as it's called. Yeah. So, well, I thought the, the more I hear about this, the the, 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 the the least I like it. Now, Ronan, did you come back to? Will you, you tell us about your? You research? heard from the book there. They mentioned one of the biggest ones was the Beardmore Glacier. Yeah. So Ronan did a bit now, of research on that. Is, did you say in, in the book that it was the size of France? Is the first part. First they part. They had to travel across. The between. size of France. All ice. I know. <laughs> now, Ronan. One of Tom's friends had a close brush with death as they climbed the glacier. The weak ice collapsed under their weight and Tom's pal Bill Lashley suddenly disappeared down a gapping hole. Oh, and uh, Richard said a well while ago they were tied together for that reason. So a crevice I didn't realise could be covered with a thin ice uh, layer yeah. of snow. So you wouldn't see it and bang, you'd fall down. And again, with the weight of the men and all their gear, the ice couldn't. So hold. what happened to Tom's friend when he fell into the crevice? Uh, I presume they saved yeah. him. Did they pull him out? Yeah. Because he was sorry, he did fall, but they were able to. So I, 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 you and Dara mentioned that some of the crevices can be, you know, hundreds of meters uh, deep. So can you imagine falling into it like that? I wouldn't like that, would you? No. Can you imagine the jerk on your if you have the rope around your tummy? When you're falling because you've no notice and you go, oh, it must be terrible. So what else did you come across, Darren? Are I running a big apartment? Uh, the food that they ate. Right. They were there. The mix was poured into tin mugs and known as hoosh. It oh, that's was right, yeah. mixed with curry powder to vary the flavour. Oh, Sounds it still wasn't great, I'd say. So I said in previous programmes, can you imagine eating that stuff, hoosh, for all your meals, every meal, breakfast, dinner, lunch, everything, and you had to stop, put up your tent, get the stove out, light it, in the wind and the snow. And after try, carrying after carrying it all day long. And you're trying, you have to eat it, because if you don't eat, you won't have strength. So they couldn't go down to McDonald's <laughs> and get a bag of chips or whatever, you know. So it's... Um, doesn't sound very very appetising, does it? That that hoosh. No. no. And if you're pulling all the stuff, as you say, Miss Cahill, there must have been very very strong men. So I think Tom and brave Crean, brave. Tom, I think Tom Crean was absolutely brilliant, and he's he was a hero, wasn't he, boys? Yeah. Yeah. And he's I think he's an unsung hero. Okay, John, what, would you like to say something there? Um, you know about the skinny ones that go up the top. Yes. How it's skinnier yeah. at the top. Yeah. 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 Some mountains, as I said, they can be all different shapes. One could be like a slanted one, which right. you probably think would, is not as dangerous, but it could be because if you get a wrong step from Bang. anywhere, you could easily just fall and hurt yourself. You so it's uh, everything you've spoken about has highlighted the danger that Tom Crean and his men face every single minute 
because they were never safe, were they? Because you never knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So they were fantastic people. I just found in the book here what did happen to his friend. Bill. Oh, very good. It says so. The weak ice collapsed under their weight, and Tom's pal Bill Lashley suddenly disappeared down a gaping hole. Luckily, the sledge was jammed across the hole, oh, and right. he hung helplessly by his harness, spinning over the deep chasm below. A rope was quickly thrown down, and Bill was hauled to safety. It was a close shave. Oh, so the sledge uh, went across the crevasse, yeah, and very he, lucky. Was, he was hanging down. Yeah. Wow. So that that's all. Oh, the more I hear about this, so that was they, very, these boys had a, had a tough topic now. That I've just yeah. remote, just took the words out of my mouth. Something like that is very hard to explain because you've got your projects in front of you and you've got fabulous photographs and you've all the writings. From a listener's point of view, I think if you, you've explained very well what what a glacier is like, the the big problem with the with the, with the climate is that as as the the climate the temperature goes up, glaciers. We spoke about this yesterday, Dara. Do you know what could happen? Weather goes up. If the temperature temperature goes up. It can form a big ice... uh, What would happen to the icebergs if the Earth's temperature is rising? They would melt. Right. And... The water levels would... Would be, like, getting hotter and hotter. And increase. Because the ice would melt and form water, liquid water, isn't that right? And then it could be a big tsunami coming... What did we say that was called the whole thing of the earth, the temperature rising? Global warming. Global warming. Very, very good. Jack? Uh, well, they had to kill the penguins if I was, if I'm right for food. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. To, to go back to, to that topic of, uh, of food, because if they didn't have fresh meat and that, what would they suffer from? What was the disease called? It's a horrible disease. Can you remember, Jack? Scurvy. Scurvy. And it was it was a really horrible disease because you didn't go, you weren't getting the vitamins and so on, and you get it was all your your teeth were followed. Oh, Oh, dreadful! So, Dara, I I, I have to wrap up because we we're running out of time. We could chat all day. We could chat all day. I think you did very very well describing that very difficult topic. So I want to thank Miss Cahill and her boys in our class with Dara, Ronan, John, Sean. Richard and Jack. That's me. That's you. <laughs> and I, it's great to see all your project work. And I'm, uh, Miss Cattle, will you put that up in your room? To oh, show? definitely. And so everyone can see. And I think I want to congratulate you boys for carrying out your research and your reading around the subject because it really showed that you, you did your homework on this. And we want to thank you very much. So uh, all the best now and farewell to the boys from Miss Cattle's fourth class, David's Boys National School. Thank you very, very much. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.